Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online with us. Uh, today, uh, we were just outside, and is today like the nicest day that we've had for? I mean, it's so, so nice out. It's like uh, you started to see spring start to kind of sneak in a few times the last week or so, as it's starting to, uh, it hit 70 a few days, and uh, it's the weather's just been really, really good. Um, I know for us, uh, about this time of year, probably for you as well, uh, as, as you kind of start to get into spring and start to look towards that, uh, you also start to plan your, your uh, summer. And uh, here at church, we're putting plans together for sports camp. And I know probably for you, uh, you're probably starting to look at, hey, what are we going to be doing this summer? Maybe you're looking at vacation. Maybe you're going through the, the painful exercise of pricing plane tickets for where you're trying to go this summer. Uh, I know for our family, uh, we're, this summer we're going to be headed to Florida uh, and we're going to spend some time with my family. My dad and mom, once a year, uh, they make sure that all of us get together. And uh, they spend their own money to get us there, which is nice. Uh, but, but they get us all together. And so this summer, we're going to be headed to Anna Maria Island. And so we're, we're, we're making those plans uh, now and, and starting to get ready for that. And uh, when, when we go, and maybe this is how it is for your family... Uh, we're going to, man, enjoy time with my two brothers and their families and my mom and dad. And, and when we're together, we, we laugh with and at each other. Uh, maybe you do that with your family. Uh, we man, eat great food. We have good conversations. Uh, we play games. And, and man, it's just, we just have a really good time together. And when we're together, whether it's at a beach or at my mom and dad's house in Alabama, it is a, a really safe place. And when I say safe, I don't, I don't mean, obviously, it's safe physically, but it's a safe place in a lot of other ways. And maybe you've experienced this with your family, or maybe you'd say, no, this isn't really what I experienced with my family, and, and maybe you find a safe place in another relationship. But, but here's what I mean. When we're together, the, the safe place that we're in is a, a place where, man, you can be yourself. A place where you can share what's really on your heart. Uh, it's a place where you can be honest about your struggles. Uh, it's a place where you can uh, laugh. It's a place where, man, people know you really well. They know you on your good day and they know you on your bad days. And they're for you on both days. And when we're together this summer, that's the, the environment that, that my mom and dad have kind of created over the years. It's just a place where you can be yourself, and it's a safe place where you don't have to worry about what other people are going to think. And like I said, maybe for you, you'd say, you know what, man, my family, that's not really what I experience when I'm with my extended family. Maybe you'd say, man, I actually experience the opposite. But probably in your life, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, you have a relationship or you have some friends that you would say, you know what, I, I know what you're talking about, Chris, about being just that safe place where you can be yourself or you trust those people where they, they have your back, where they know you, you're good and you're bad, they still love you, and you, you, you understand that. And we expect... You know, people on the outside sometimes to cause issues, and, and, and we kind of expect that, that people on the outside might, might not love us or treat us as great as, you know, we, we want to be treated, but, but we know that there's that group of people that, man, when we're with them, it's a safe place. It's a place where we know what we can expect. It's a place they're going to love us, treat us well, and they're going to be for us. Where it gets really devastating, and, and maybe you've experienced this, is when 
you get surprised by the safe place. Maybe, maybe the, the safe place, the relationships that you thought were built on trust and the relationships that, man, you kind of knew what to expect that, that were for you, that were going the same direction. It, it's when those relationships and when people in those relationships kind of stab us in the back or do stuff to us that we don't expect, man, that's where it really gets devastating. I mean, we expect it from the outside. We expect it from maybe people that aren't in that group. But man, when it happens to us, when people on the inside, when people that are supposed to be for us, man, they bring issues and they bring uh, struggles. That's where it really hurts. And we've been studying this guy, Nehemiah, if you've been with us the last few weeks. And this is exactly where Nehemiah is in his story. As we have studied through Nehemiah's story, we're going to see today that Nehemiah kind of gets that gut punch that he wasn't expecting from some people that he thought was safe and a place where he thought, man, that wasn't what he was supposed to get from those people. If you're new to Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a Jewish man. He lived about 2,500 years ago. He's, he's, he's a guy that doesn't live in Jerusalem. He actually serves as a cupbearer for a Persian king about 700 miles from Jerusalem. So, so he's in Jeru- or not in Jerusalem. He's doing his job serving this king. And, and as we've talked about the past few weeks, somebody that he loves dearly, his brother, comes to see him. So, man, it's a, it's a kind of a big trip for his brother. I mean, he's traveled seven to 800 miles, probably by horse or walking. And so his brother comes to see him, and and Nehemiah says, hey, how's things back home? Man, how how are the folks back home? How's the city doing? And and he probably expects to get, you know, some decent news, but the news he gets is probably the worst possible news. He finds out that, man, things back home aren't good. In, In fact, the people at home, they're in distress. The walls of the city of Jerusalem are broken down. They're burned with fire. That which means that the people are not safe from their enemies. Man, it is a train wreck back home, Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah, as we've we've seen, man, when he heard this news, it, it broke his heart. He spent about four months just grappling with God and, and fasting and praying over the news that he had heard. And, and during that four months, God kind of gives him vision for what his part's going to be in the solution. And through God's just sovereign plan, God allows Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem to be part of the rebuilding process. And when he gets back, as we've looked over the past few weeks, he gets back and and he doesn't start working right away. He really inspects the the area. He gets a kind of the lay of the land. And then he goes to the people of Jerusalem that are probably wondering, what is this dude Nehemiah doing in the city? And he points to the city and the broken down walls and he challenges the people, man, let's rebuild. And and this is what the people said in Nehemiah 2.18. This was their response. Let's start. Let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. And so the rebuilding began. And we've, we've looked at that over the past few weeks. It wasn't easy. I mean, it was really hard work. There was no Home Depot. There was no Lowe's. There was no cranes. There was no power tools. It's just, hey, we are working together, shoulder to shoulder, family to family. Our kids, everybody with different skill sets are working together to rebuild the wall of our city, which was about five miles of wall that they had to rebuild. And they were working. They were working hard. And and as they made progress, there were people on the outside, enemies of the Jewish people that came and, and did everything they could to emotionally and physically intimidate these people and stop them from rebuilding this wall. And, and they, they did everything they could. And they were so frustrated because they couldn't stop these people. They continued to work even with opposition from the outside. In fact, this is a verse we looked at last week in Nehemiah 4, verse 6. This is as they're getting intimidated or or trying to get intimidated emotionally and physically. This is what Nehemiah says. So we rebuilt the wall 
until the wall, until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had the will to keep working. Another translation says it this way, the people worked with all their heart. So people on the outside, trying to physically, emotionally intimidate, stop the work. This was to be expected. But then Nehemiah, as they're continuing to just keep their head down and stay focused, even with this outside intimidation and these outside enemies trying to stop them, in the midst of these people saying, we're going to keep working, all of a sudden Nehemiah gets that gut punch, that unexpected obstacle that he wasn't expecting. It's an obstacle that he wasn't expecting from a place he wasn't expecting it to come from. You guys, you probably, like us, you watch, does anybody watch America's Funniest Videos once in a while? A few people watch it. So the funniest videos that you watch are probably the most painful for the person that's actually going through them. But, but the, the funniest videos that you watch are the ones when people get surprised. And so it's the dad. And, and you know how the story, you, you know how the video is going to end. His little son is playing t-ball and he's got a ball on a tee and the dad's 10 feet away from him and, and the little boy's starting to swing. You already know how the video is going to end. And he gets surprised. It's the it's little kid that's, that's playing outside and his huge dog that looks like the size of a horse comes and just surprises him and, and like knocks him over. The lady's on the motorcycle. She's trying to learn how to ride it. And all of a sudden she hits, hits the thing and it, it flips up. And I mean, she probably hurts her. I mean, she's probably terribly hurt. But man, it's those surprises and we lean in and it's funny. But there are some surprises and you've experienced this that man... They're, they're not funny. And, and they're not funny whether they're on a video or not. It's those emotional surprises. It's the, man, I didn't expect that to come from him. Oh, man, no, no, there's no way she could have said that. There's no way she would have done that to us. And, and it's those surprises that there's nothing funny about them. They hurt deeply. They're, they come from unexpected places. And that's where Nehemiah is. It's not something that's funny to him. He is trying his best to lead these people to rebuild this wall. And yet as he's trying to rebuild, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, huge obstacles come from people they shouldn't come from. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 5 as he begins to kind of lay out some of where this is coming from and some of what these obstacles are. It says this. There was widespread outcry. So this is not just a, a, one incident. There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. So basically what, what was happening is kind of the wealthy, some of the wealthy class of the Jewish people, Jewish countrymen, were taking advantage of Jewish families that didn't have quite as much. They were taking advantage of them financially in the midst of what was already a really hard financial climate. There was already a, a famine going on. There was already heavy taxation from the king of Persia. And so, man, if, if everything else was going well, it was still a really tough financial climate. But, but now they're trying to rebuild this wall. The city is a mess. And in the midst of Man, working together and rebuilding and doing something that's impossible. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, their own people start intimidating them. And it starts, man, putting pressure on them financially. People that are their neighbors. And, and Nehemiah, he, he lays out some of the, the tough situations that these people were in. He says this in verse 2. He says this. Some were saying, we, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. There were, there were some people that, man, they were in a place, they were, they were known as kind of the landless poor people. They didn't have any land. And back then, land was what kind of gave you wealth. They had no land. And, and so that meant when dad and, and mom were out working on the wall... They weren't out working to provide food for the family. And you can't eat a wall. 
And so, man, there was this, this group of people. They didn't have a land. They didn't have a lot of, of things. And, and, and they were struggling even to get food. But then there was another group of people that were struggling in a different way. It says this. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during this famine. So, so there was another group of people that did have a little bit of land. But in order to eat, they had to basically make a decision to give up their future to live today. Because their future was in their land. That was where they would get crops. That was what would sustain them for generations. And in order to survive in, this, in the midst of this climate, they were having to sell their land, which was their future, just so they could eat today. But then there was a, a, another group, and it says this there was in verse 4. Still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen. It's like, man, we're, we're just like the people that are doing this to us. We're the, we're the same people. But it says, and their children, yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. And so there was a, another group of people that in order, I mean, they, they had come to a place where their best option, imagine this mom and dad, the best option of survival was putting their kids in slavery. Like, like think about that, that phrase, we are powerless. Like, like feel that. Feel that for people that you love. When you're in a situation and there's somebody that you love that is deeply hurting or in need, and when you're in a position where you feel absolutely powerless, that's where these parents were. They, they couldn't provide for their family, so they had to sell their kids to become slaves. And they didn't have any land, so there was no hope of the future being able to buy their kids back. It was a hopeless situation. They were powerless. And so Nehemiah, they're, they're out rebuilding this wall. They're trying to do something that's going to help the future of their country. And all the while, on the inside, there's people that are hurting them financially and putting undue pressure on them. That's for some families making them put their kids into slavery to even survive. And so how would Nehemiah respond? I mean, this is obviously not good. So look at verse 6. And you see how Nehemiah responded. It says this. I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry. And these complaints. When Nehemiah talked to these moms that had had to sell their kids. When Nehemiah talked to these dads that, that used to have a small plot of land but had to sell that plot of land to, to pay the interest that other Jewish people were charging them. And all the while, Nehemiah is trying to help them rebuild their country and there's people from the inside destroying what he's doing. And hurting these people deeply. And so it says this. And I love this about Nehemiah. Verse 7 it says this. After seriously considering the matter. If you watch Nehemiah's story. Even in the midst of the toughest issues. And the maybe biggest obstacles. Nehemiah always takes time to make wise decisions. He, he doesn't make quick rash decisions. It says this, after seriously considering the matter, I accuse the nobles and officials saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interest. See, when, because you, you read that and you're like, well, I mean, is, does that mean you're not allowed, I mean, interest, that's not like, is that a sin to charge someone interest? Well, it is for these people. Because when God had set up the nation of Israel, he told them. In fact, he, he was the one that gave them everything. He gave them their land. He gave them all the riches that they had. And then he said this. He, he told them very clearly. He said, you know what? When you loan things 
to your country. You, you can charge interest to foreigners. If you loan to foreigners, you can charge interest. But when you loan food, when you loan goods, when you loan any resources to your countrymen, you don't charge them interest. In fact, it says this in Exodus twenty-two twenty-five. It says, if you lend silver to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a creditor to him. You must not charge him interest. Like, okay, God, I don't quite understand that. Well, uh, it's not real hard to understand that. It's pretty self-explanatory. And this is just one passage of many that, things that God said to this, this young nation that said, hey, when, when you are dealing with people that are on the inside, that are your family, that are your nation, you treat them differently than you'll treat a foreigner. A foreigner, yeah, if you loan them something, yeah, you can charge them interest. You're allowed to do that. But if you loan something to the people that are on the inside, that are part of your family, if they don't have the money to pay it back and they're destitute, you just give it to them. If they have the money, if they have the goods, if they have the resources to pay it back, then let them pay you back, but don't charge them interest. And here's the thing. Some of these wealthy people were charging 40 to 50% interest on their own countrymen. And God had told them at the very beginning, you're not supposed to charge any. And so Nehemiah, he, he, he hears this, he goes, I mean, he deals with them, he tells them, man, you're doing the wrong thing, you're not supposed to be doing this. And then it says this, it says, so I called a large assembly against them. And I said, we have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners. But now you sell your own countrymen and we have to buy them back. Basically, Nehemiah is saying, man, you are killing me. Nehemiah and other wealthy people have used their own personal resources and are actively using their own personal resources to buy back slaves that have been sold to foreigners. All the while, they're trying to buy people back. These other people are forcing people into slavery to pay their debt to them. I mean, Nehemiah is like, you are killing me. What are you doing? And then he goes on. And, and I like, like how this verse ends. They remained silent and could not say a word. It's not, they weren't trying to make an excuse. They, they basically had gotten caught on camera and in person with their hand in the cookie jar with a handful of cookies. And Nehemiah says, this is wrong. You are, what you're doing is sin against God and you are hurting your own people. And when he accused them of this, it says, man, I, they didn't have anything to say. And then here's what Nehemiah said. And I think this is the gist of the whole thing in this next phrase. It says, then I said, what you are doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? What you're doing is not right. Instead of doing what you're doing, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Maybe you're, you're new to church or you're new to the Bible and you think, man, fear God. Does that mean you're supposed to be afraid of God? That you're like in the corner, like shaking, you're afraid of God? That's not what it means. When, when, when the Bible talks about the fear of God, here's what it's talking about. It's talking about awe and reverence for God that leads to trust and obedience. It's that, it's that looking at God with awe and reverence that, that then leads you to trust and obey. And Nehemiah is saying, you know what? What you're doing isn't right. And you know what? You should trade that in for fearing God. You should trade that in for respecting and having great reverence for God and awe of God that would lead you to take his word seriously and obey him. Because you don't fear God, because you don't have reverence for God and what God says, you are hurting your own people when God has said not to do it this way. You're doing the opposite because you don't fear God. And not only are you hurting your own people, but he says this, and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies. He's basically saying, 
Not only are you hurting your own people, but your own enemies aren't even taking your God seriously. Like they're looking at you saying, man, if you don't even listen to your God, if you don't even take his word seriously, if you don't have fear for him, if you don't have reverence for him, man, they're, they're making fun of their God. Why, why would a foreigner take your God seriously if you don't even take your God seriously? And so Nehemiah, man, he's not trying to like waste his words here. He's being pretty straightforward with these people because what they're doing is against God. He goes on in verse 10 as he's having this conversation. And you can imagine like, you know, you, you ever been in a room? Remember when you were a little kid and you got caught? And like you had nothing to say and you, you just got caught. You were busted. And you're just, you're listening to your dad or your mom. You are not even moving. You're just focused. You're hoping not to get a punishment of, of, some, of whatever punishment you didn't like to get. And, and your, every word that your mom or dad is saying is like you are listening or at least you are faking like you're listening. And that's where, man, these people, Nehemiah is talking to them and, and he, they know what they're doing is wrong. And they probably thought, you know what, we could do this around Nehemiah's back. But now this Nehemiah guy, he shows up and now he's kind of in our business and he's caught him. And so he goes on. He says, even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please let's stop charging interest. Return their fields, their vineyards. Their olive groves, their houses to them immediately. I mean, some of these people had taken their houses immediately, along with the percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and fresh oil that you have been assessing them. Basically, man, Nehemiah, he boldly asked them, give everything back. Give it all back. And, and, and the, one of the things you'll see about Nehemiah as you read through his story, he never asked them to do something he isn't already doing. Like he, he's already saying, man, I'm, I'm using my wealth to help people. I'm using my wealth to feed people. I'm using my wealth to clothe people. I'm using my wealth to help these families. And so all I'm asking you to do is give them their stuff back. Just follow my example. And here's how they responded. We will. We will return these things. We will require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. And Nehemiah, he's obviously, man, he probably, okay, that's good to hear. Uh, but he's not taking their word. He's like, you know what, that was pretty easy. Like, like for me, when I was a little kid, if, if my mom had like the spoon or the belt and I was going to get a spanking, I'd say whatever she wanted me to say. Yes, I'll do whatever. Yes, I'll apologize for whatever. <laughs> whatever it takes. And basically, that's where Nehemiah's at. He's just confronted them, and they're feeling guilty. They're kind of humiliated now. They're, they're like, the game's over. Oh, yeah, Nehemiah, we'll do exactly what you say. Let's just end this conversation quickly, and let's move on. And Nehemiah's like, your words are, yeah, I appreciate them, but don't take them real seriously. And so Nehemiah, he kind of takes it up a notch. And he says this, I, you know, thankful for your words, but says this, so I summoned the priest. Like, I'm calling the principal in. He's coming in to see you. I'm, I'm calling the priest. And it says, and I made everyone take an oath to do this. So back in this time, like if you make a promise today, hopefully you take that seriously and you don't, you don't uh, take, you know, you don't say that without meaning it. But back in this time, when you took an oath, like you were basically saying, if I break this, I no longer live. Like this was heavy. That's why Nehemiah's like, yeah, great. That's cute what you said. And I appreciate your words, but let's take it up a notch. Let me get the priest in here and let's, let's take an oath together. Let, let's make a promise with our life depending on it that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And then it says this, I also shook the folds of my robe and said, may God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. Basically, if you decide to go against this, I'm praying disaster for you. That if you break this oath, you'll wish you were dead. It's going to be so bad. And back then, they, they would do things to represent. And so he literally shook off 
And he's like, this is what's going to happen to you materialistically, physically. If you break this oath, it's not going to go well for you. And it says this, the whole assembly said, amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did as they had promised. See, Nehemiah had, had made tons of sacrifices. You think, think about Nehemiah's story. If you're new to his story, Nehemiah never had to deal with this if he didn't want to. Nehemiah could have still been back in the palace in Persia. His job was to taste the food and wine of the king to make sure the king wasn't going to get poisoned. That is a pretty good job. Like your job is to eat the best food in the land. That's, and you actually get to eat it before the king does. But yet Nehemiah left what was a really good job, probably was very financially stable. He was on the inner circle of the most powerful man in their world. And he goes back and he sacrifices his time, his effort. He sacrifices his own finances to help these people. Man, he doesn't just come with like a bullhorn to tell people what to do. Man, he came with a shovel. He came with his own money. He's ready to work. And he has made tremendous sacrifices. And not only did he do that, but, but eventually the king made him governor. And if you were governor, you were allotted an amount of food and an amount of money. You were also allotted an amount of the tax money that came in. You were allotted all of that. And so if anybody in this setting had kind of the right or the ability to be kind of bless himself, I mean, Nehemiah was the guy. I mean, he had made more sacrifices than anybody. He was in authority and had a position that meant every other person in his position in the past had, had taken land and had, had gotten tax money. But yet he didn't. He didn't do it. He didn't use his position for financial gain. He didn't use his position to manipulate better deals for himself. He didn't use the, the fact that he had made tremendous sacrifices bigger than anybody else had made to manipulate anything. He just continued to sacrifice. In fact, verse 15 says this, the governors who preceded me have heavily burdened the people, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people. And, and this is the key. But because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. Because you're a good person? Because you didn't need the money? No. Because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. Because I feared God, I didn't manipulate people. Because I feared God, I didn't treat people badly like these other Jewish people were. Because I feared God, I didn't do what other people had done. I didn't use my leadership position to help myself because I feared God. Instead, I devoted myself to the construction of this wall. And all my subordinates were gathered there for the work and we didn't buy any land. Nehemiah's, like I said, they, because of their role, they could have gotten some sweet land deals. But because of Nehemiah's, his fear of God, he, he lived a certain way. And then you, you notice in that passage, not only did he, but the people that followed him, the people that worked for him, they, they also could have taken advantage of their position, of their closeness to Nehemiah, but they didn't either. They followed his example. See, like, like Nehemiah, we, we can't control others. We can't control others' selfish and hurtful decisions. Like if Nehemiah could have controlled other people's decisions, this part of the story wouldn't even be in there. These, these Jewish people would have never been putting financial pressure on their other Jewish uh, like nation. If, if Nehemiah could have controlled that or stopped that, if he could have controlled their hearts... He would have done that, but he can't. Neither can you. But, but here's what Nehemiah did. See, he set an example of what it looks like to use his influence to care for people and accomplish the task God had given him. Yeah, he would have probably loved to never have this happen. 
He would have loved to never have to sit down with a family that had had to sell their child into slavery to survive. He would have loved if, if he could have changed the people's heart that had made these terrible decisions. But he couldn't. Neither can you. Neither can I. We can't change someone else's heart. You can't change somebody's heart that, that you trusted that hurt you any more than they can change your heart. But what Nehemiah did is he, he, he lived as an example. He used his influence because of his fear of God. He used his influence to care for people, not manipulate them. And he used his influence not only to care for people, but to be heavily involved in God's work. Whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, whether you consider yourself a person of faith, I mean, who doesn't want that? Like, who doesn't want to be known as somebody that uses their influence to care for people and uses their life to be a part of something bigger than themselves? I mean, nobody's signing up to, you know, I, I want to be remembered as a jerk that wasted my life. We're not, we're not signing up for that. And for Nehemiah, he, he kind of gives us the secret sauce. He tells us, I mean, as clear as he can. He tells us kind of what the secret sauce is to care for people well instead of manipulating them, to use your influence for good instead of for yourself. He, he says it. He said it clearly. He said, because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. Because I feared God, I cared for people. Because I feared God, I sacrifice for people. Because I feared God, I devoted myself to his mission. Which leads to a pretty obvious question. Here's the question. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? Do I fear God? Let me put an I in there for myself. I honestly, this morning, I thought about this. As I was doing my devotions this morning, I thought about you know, what does it look like for me to fear God today? Do you fear God? Again, what, what do we mean by that? Fearing God is that awe, that reverence for God that leads to trust and obedience. Do you have awe and reverence for God that leads you to trust Him and obey Him? It's that respect for who he is, for what he's done, for what he said. You have other people. If you're watching online, you could probably think of someone too. You have some people in your life. Maybe there's somebody from your past. Maybe there's somebody that's in your life right now. And you just have deep respect for them. You, you, you might even call it reverence. There's, just, you're, there's a reverence for that person. There's a respect for that person because of who they are. Maybe because of how they've impacted your life, because of their character. There's, there's just something in you that just, man, when you're around that person, there's a deep respect. There's a reverence for them. And when they say something, you take their word very seriously because of your respect and your reverence for them. And as we think about this as it comes to God up like a hundred notches compared to how we respect and rever have reverence for people, the question really is like, is that something that I have for God? Like, like is God something that's just on my tool belt and when it's convenient to use him, I like pull that tool off? Or, or do I have such a deep reverence and respect and awe of God that, man, I, I love him deeply, I, I trust him deeply, and I obey him, not because I'm this great person, but because of who he is. There's reverence. Jesus, he said it a little different way when he was on earth. He said it this way. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love, if you respect, if you fear, if you reverence me, you will love the things that I loved. You, you will hate the things that I hate. You will treat people the way I treat people. You will use your life for others and not for yourself. If you fear, if you love me, which leads us back to that question. Do you fear God? 
Do you fear God? In Nehemiah's story, those that didn't took advantage of people and hindered God's work. And that hasn't changed. People that don't have a fear and a reverence and an awe of who God is, of what he's done, of what he says, tend to use their life in different ways than people that do have a fear of God. And in Nehemiah's day, because people did not have a reverence and an awe of God, it led them to take advantage of people. And it hindered God's work. But those that did have a fear of God, a reverence for God, they sacrificed for people and helped God's work. And here's the thing. There's no magic pill. There's no magic pill for, hey, what do I need to... Can I, is there like two tablets I can take a couple times a week that'll really help me have a, a greater reverence and an awe of God? No, there's, there's no magic pill. It, it comes down to knowing God better. As I know God better, I become more in awe of who he is. It's like, think about a couple other things. Think about the solar system. Like my, my daughter, Kate, she got a little, uh, she got a little telescope for Christmas. And so we're, you know, we've taken it out a few times. And, and you know what? Kate and I don't know a lot about the solar system. I know a little bit more than her. But I, it's not like we're astronomers. We don't know a lot. But I guarantee, like, if I was to take a year of my life and really study the stars and all that stuff, I guarantee that I would have a much bigger awe of our universe if I knew more about it. Same thing with the human body. Here's what I know. If I cut myself, I bleed. That hurts. I don't like that. Uh, if there's a pain in my body somewhere, I go see a doctor that tells me how to fix that. That's, that's what I know. Some of you, probably most of you, that's kind of same for you. But then there are people in our city and maybe even in our, that are doctors and are nurses that are, have studied and, and they know the intricacies of our bodies. And because they know the intricacies of our bodies, there's, there's an awe of what's really going on that we don't even know about most of us to make all this work. Because they know much more, it creates a greater awe. For some of us, there's no awe of God because we don't know God. We don't really know who He is, so we're not really impressed by Him. Right now, as we sit here in Asbury, at Asbury College, you've probably been following it. There is a chapel service that started 10 days ago that hasn't stopped. And, and I've been following it. Some of you have. I've been, Lori and I have been watching it. Wednesday a week ago, a chapel service started. And then after that chapel service, about 15 kids stayed around to just felt led to continue to pray and worship. That 15 became 30. That few minutes after chapel became hours, has become days. That chapel service is still going as we sit here. And here's what I've heard. This is what I have several friends that have been there. I've watched several things, had seen several interviews. Here's what, what people have said. It's not impressive. And I mean that production-wise. It's not a lot of smoke and lights. It's not, not super impressive. If you were in there, not like the greatest speakers in the world. It's just, here's what it is. It's a group of 18 to 23, 24-year-olds that want more of God. They want to know God. And so they are repenting of their sins because of what has hindered them from knowing God at a greater level. They are in awe of God. They are singing about God. They are reading God's word. And again, not, it's, it's, it's not a lot of production. It's not fancy. Just literally kids are getting up and reading the scriptures and praying. Kids are coming to the front. It's been happening for 10 days and just confessing sin because they want to know God. And, and what's happened is now the world is noticing. Now people from all over the world are coming onto their campus. It's spread onto many other college campuses. There's a hunger for God, and it's leading people to get rid of sin and to lean in, to know God, to fear God, to be in awe of God, to, to, to want holiness. 
Not to want something on my tool belt. And in Nehemiah's day, that's what he was calling them to. He was calling them to have an awe and a reverence for God that led them to give up what was hindering their relationship with God and lean in to loving and serving the way God would want them to. Which leads us back. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? No magic pill. Coming to church once a week. Listening to some dude yell at you for 30 minutes. Not going to make you. I mean, maybe a little bit. But it's going to be you and God. Me and God. In the quietness of the moments of our lives. Us leaning into God. Knowing him deeper and more. As he convicts us of sin. And things that are holding us back from our relationship with him. Us moving those out and getting those off and focusing on knowing him. And when we do that, we will have a greater reverence and awe of God. And so here's my my encouragement. If you want to have that in your life, get to know God. Get to know God. It will impact every area your life. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just a couple minutes ago, I asked you that question. And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, and you would say, Chris, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's, there's been a time in my life where I have uh, trusted him as my savior. I believe that he died and rose from the grave for me. I've started a relationship with him. And so when, when I asked that question, and I, like I said, I thought about this question myself. But when I ask you that question and I ask you, do you fear God? What was your honest answer? Just between you and God. Probably like me, if you're honest, you'd say sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I do. Here's the question. Would you be willing to maybe set aside some time this week to spend with God? Not for the purpose of, of getting a nugget to help you in your life, but for the purpose of knowing God better. Sometimes we come to the scriptures almost like it's a self-help book. And yeah, it does help us a lot with ourselves, but it's not a self-help book. It's a book about God. And so would you be willing to just this week set aside some time to get, get quiet and spend some time in God's word, not, not to get a, a nugget, but just to ask yourself, can I learn about God from this passage? And as God shows you things in your life, maybe he'll show you some things that as you are learning more about him, some areas of your life that maybe don't line up with his plan for you. And you'd have an opportunity to just get rid of those, to repent of those, to confess those. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you would say, hey, Chris, I I don't have a relationship with God. I'm skeptical of this whole Jesus thing. I've been hurt by the church in the past. And, and if that's you, man, I'm so glad that you've stuck with us, that you're still listening. And, and here's my question for you. And one of the things that God did is he, man, he, he knew that you were hurt. He knew that you'd have questions. He, he knew that you'd be skeptical. And here's the question that he has for you. Would you just come to me? Would you bring your questions? Would you bring your church hurt? Would you bring your skepticism? Would you come to me? I want a relationship with you. Well, in order to have a relationship, do I, do I have to have all my questions answered? Do I have to have everything figured out in the whole Bible? No. Here's what you have to do. You have to believe that Jesus, God's son, died on the cross and rose from the grave 
to pay for your sin and my sin. And then you just have to invite him. Based on what, you, what you've done, Jesus, would you come into my life and transform me? That's the first step. And maybe today that's what God is calling you to do. You're like, I, I wasn't planning on doing this when I came to church today. But there's something inside of you when you're watching online or you're here this morning that's just saying, hey, today's the day. Bring your skepticism, bring your questions, bring your hurt. I want a relationship with you. If that's you, just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching, just in your heart to God, just say something like this to him. Dear God, I admit to you, I've done things my way. I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. Then just tell him, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. And Jesus, I'm asking you, would you man, come into my life? Would you transform me? I want a home with you when this whole thing's over. Just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching, if you started a relationship with God today, if, if while I was praying, you were praying to God, man, we would love to rejoice with you. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a little decision card you can fill out and we'll get that and we'll text your call you just to check in and see if you have any questions. If you're here this morning with us, there's a card right in front of you that says decision. Man, you can fill that out and just drop it in the offering basket or the next steps table and, and we'll just, again, just call you, check in on you, just want to rejoice with you and really help you understand your decision. Lord, I thank you for your word and Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, even, even when you know ahead of time the bad decisions we're going to make, you still love us fiercely. And you want the best for us. And that starts with a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.